So I wonder if you were planting a church, I don't recommend it by the way, but if you were planting a church and you were tasked with preaching, where would you begin? When you pick up your Bible and think, where am I going to preach? What are we even going to start with? Would you start at the very beginning of the very beginning? Would you start at the book of Genesis and think about God who created a world, a beautiful world with great things going on in it would you think about God's chosen people and the Israelites and the story of exodus and slavery and captivity and redemption would you think about Jesus who is of course the center of the Christian faith would you think about salvation would you think about his life his death his resurrection would you go into the early church would you go to the apostle Paul who's maybe the greatest evangelist that the world has ever seen Or would you maybe just go straight to the end of the Bible to skip a whole load of time and get closer to lunch and just go straight to the book of Revelation and think about what's going to happen one day when Jesus returns? Well, um, at the first of our interest meetings last year, somebody got up in the Q&A session and gave one of those really difficult theological questions. There's a pastor you always dread happening in a Q&A session. And they said, hey, Ben, um, you know that you're here to plant a church. Um, is there a particular part of the Bible, a particular passage which speaks to you about what you feel that God's calling you to do and who you feel God's calling you to be? as a church and um, I was slightly caught off guard for a few seconds and then I thought no absolutely there is a bible passage which is not only at the very heart of everything that we think God's calling us to do in Pasadena but it's also actually the very heart of everything that we think that Laura and I are called to be as human beings as pastors it's everything that we want to be our lives to be about And when I was in business, um, still very happily far away from being a pastor, it was the passage of scripture which grabbed hold of my heart and made me think, yeah, man, I would give my life to see if this could be a reality on earth. And the passage that we're going to read, and we're going to read it this week, and then we're going to read it next week as well. We're going to look at three things this week, three things next week. So bad news, if you want them more, you've got to come back. Um, But... uh, The passage is the description of the very first spirit-filled church ever to exist. Church before there were walls, church before there were denominations, church before there were committees and schedules and rotors, church before there was anything else. The church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I say, when I read this, I just thought this is such an amazing thing that the church is called to be. I want to invest my life in building churches that just, even in a faint way, could echo the beauty of this first community. And so we're going to look at it today. So just to give you a little bit of context and history, um, if you have read through some of the Old Testament of the Bible, you will know that after hundreds, if not thousands of years of pain and suffering and brokenness in the relationship between God and his people, God launches the most astonishing rescue mission that the world has ever seen. God sends his one and only son, Jesus, to earth, to live, to die on the cross, to rise again, conquering death, making a way for human beings to be in right relationship again with their heavenly father. It's an incredible thing. But along the way, um, Jesus does something which maybe is even slightly surprising, is that while he's on earth, he gathers together this complete bunch of misfits, a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds, men, and he gathers some women as well, young, a little bit older, different professions, different political views, different cultures, different areas that they lived in, and he brings them together, and he calls them friends, and he calls them family, and he lives with them, and he trains them, and he teaches them, and he loves them, and he laughs with them and he cries with them. 
And after he's uh, died and after he's risen again, he says to them something which is really a bit of a shock. And I think if I'd been one of those first disciples, I would have been utterly shocked and horrified by the thought. And he says to them, I'm going to go now. I'm actually going to go back to be with my father in heaven for some time. And as I go, I'm going to leave you the responsibility of building my kingdom on earth. Yours is the responsibility of telling people the good news of who I am. Yours is the responsibility of praying for the sick. Yours is the responsibility of seeing people become whole again. I think if that had been me, I'd have run as far and as fast as I could possibly go. But Jesus says one more thing, and it's the thing that really changes everything, because he says, I'm not going to leave you on your own. Don't worry. He says, I'm in fact going to send somebody to be with you. In John 16, he says, I'm going to send you an advocate, somebody who's going to guide you in all power, truth, everything you need. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. But one of the gospel writers, Luke, he then goes on and writes the kind of second part to his history. And he writes the book of Acts. The book of Acts of the apostles, as it's sometimes known. Apostles as in those first followers of Jesus. Or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as it's sometimes also known. And you'll see why in a little bit. And so if you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 starts with this astonishing thing where this group of timid people, maybe a hundred of them waiting in Jerusalem, are suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. God's life, God's power, not God in human form, but God in his presence. God who comes to dwell amongst his people in spiritual sense. And suddenly all sorts of incredible things start to happen. And as they start to happen, the church in a gathered sense, full of the Spirit, centered on Jesus, takes shape. I don't know whether you've, when, why you've, I don't know if you've ever thought, how did a hundred people manage to kickstart a religion that now has three billion followers on earth? How is that even possible? Well, the answer is that they were full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. Um, so I'm going to ask Kevin um, just to come and read for us. He's going to read Acts chapter 2. Um, verse 42 to 47. So if you have a phone, if you have a Bible in your hand, uh, or if you have neither, then you can use it. It'll be up on the screen. But we're going to read Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to 47 together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Cool. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much for reading. Um, it's great. It's such a nice passage, isn't it? It's such a beautiful picture of human beings. And what I want to talk about today is three things. I want to talk about a community of people, a family of people, a church of people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are centered on the Word of God, and who are the kind of loving community that the world so rarely seems to get to glimpse. A church that is full of the Spirit, centered on the Word of God, and is a loving community. 
And if you're really observant, you will notice that those are exactly the same words in a slightly different order that are on all the vintage Pasadena publicity. And next week, we'll talk about three other words from this passage, which are also absolutely critical and fundamental. So first up, they are full of the Holy Spirit. 100 people transforming the world. How does it happen? Well, Acts 2 starts with this very famous moment, which we think of called Pentecost now, when this group of people sitting, maybe feeling a bit scared, maybe feeling a bit lost, suddenly have the Holy Spirit coursing through their veins. It says that it comes on them almost like flames, tongues of fire come to rest upon them. And as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, this group suddenly have the ability to do things, to know things that they couldn't do before. They go out onto the streets of Jerusalem and there's people gathered from all different nations there in that place and suddenly they can speak in languages that they couldn't speak in before not spiritual languages but actually in physical languages they can speak in languages across northern uh, Africa parts of Asia and even southern Europe as well they can proclaim the good news of Jesus in different languages and Peter, who is this guy who generally always says the wrong thing. I don't know if you've got a friend who always says the wrong thing. I don't know if you're even sitting next to somebody who always says the wrong thing. Um, but Peter is this apostle, this disciple of Jesus who always says completely the wrong thing. Suddenly, we find Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, right in the middle of the crowd, giving the most beautiful, thespian-like uh, defense of who Jesus is, of what he's come to do, of how we should respond. And as Peter gives this speech in the the power of the Holy Spirit says that 3,000 people come and give their life to Jesus. So now it's not 100, now it's 3,000 people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it says is, we just read a minute ago, Kevin read for us, verse 43 said that everybody in the community was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This was a miraculous community. This was a community so focused and coursing with their veins full of the Holy Spirit that they were able to do things and know things and see things happen that they couldn't do in any other way. But I wonder, like, even as I mention the Holy Spirit this morning, like, I wonder what your immediate internal reaction is. Some of you, no doubt, will be here going, Come on, the good stuff. Let's not mess around. This is what I came for. Vintage church, Holy Spirit, this is what I want. Others of you will be quite a lot more cautious than that, if you're honest. Maybe this has not been part of your Christian story at all. Maybe even you've seen some stuff which have had Holy Spirit written over it that you're not even quite sure of. Others, this will be your first ever time in church at all, and you're thinking, I have literally no idea what you're talking about. Is it something out of Scooby-Doo, or is like something else going on? When I was 12 years old, I got to go on my first ever youth camp. Now, I've discovered since I've been here that youth camps in California are amazing. You have mountains, you have sea, you have rivers, you have white water, river rafting and canyoneering and all this kind of stuff. In England, not so much the case. Uh, youth camps involve going in the rain, in the damp, in the cold, to a horrible old church building somewhere where there are bunk, bunk beds out the back. And sure enough, when I was 12, I turned up on my first ever youth camp. It was about the time in England as it was here in the United States and in parts of Canada as well, where the Holy Spirit was seemed to be really doing some very powerful things. If you could, some of you will remember that time particularly. It felt a little bit like that first Pentecost. And sure enough, as we went, we put our bunk, went to the bunk beds, put our sleeping bags on the bunk beds, and went to the first meeting of the evening. 
And before anybody had even strummed a guitar, before anybody had even spoken any sort of word from the front, the Holy Spirit started to move really powerfully in the room. There was only about 20 people there. It wasn't very big. People started to laugh. People started to cry. People started to lie down on the ground. Some people started to jumping up and down in the air. As a 12-year-old boy, I was freaked out. <laughs> I thought, what on earth is going on? This isn't the kind of coloring in crossword Christianity that I have grown up with. Something else is going on here that I don't know about. But what I came to realize over the years that followed and being part of some wonderful churches where the Holy Spirit was taught and explained really well, in fact, what the Holy Spirit comes to do and bring isn't really about the fireworks. It isn't really about the big show. Sometimes in the book of Acts, we focus so much on like whether somebody jumped up and down or spoke in a particular way or whatever it was. But actually what the Holy Spirit comes to do and what I came to realize in my life is what the Holy Spirit brings is life brings God's presence to us. Is God not far off, but God in our hearts, speaking? That I don't have to have a relationship with God that's just theoretical or about God, but actually I can have a relationship with God where God has things to speak to me about. He has things to do. And I realize that as we invite the Holy Spirit to come and move amongst us, there are times when it's very emotional. I have been in places where suddenly I've been overcome in an incredible way because of the beauty or the love of God for myself. But there have been many other times when it's felt almost like nothing's happened at all. But the importance for this community and every community is what the Holy Spirit brings, is this sense of God's life and presence to be with them, to release gifts, to release abilities, to release healing on people. And that's exactly what we see. And I'll talk in a little bit about why this community was so full of the Holy Spirit and not because of the miraculous things they could do, but because of the way that they could love one another and love God. That is what the Holy Spirit brings. And we want to be a community here at Vintage that is absolutely focused and desperate for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now you might go to me, hey, Ben, hold on a minute, Romans 8, it says like every Christian is full of the Holy Spirit, right? You can't be a Christian if you don't have the Holy Spirit. But what I've come to realize in Ephesians 5 tells us that we also need to be people who go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. That you may have a little bit of an encounter with the Holy Spirit, but actually there's always more of the Holy Spirit's life to encounter. There's always more that God wants to do in your life. It's a little bit like if you, if you try and go on a journey in a car um, and you don't have enough fuel in your tank. Um, I discovered this is not a good idea when I tried to drive from Vancouver to Seattle last summer and I got halfway, uh, exactly the point of the crossing between America and Canada and ran out of fuel. But it's not a good idea. You can't do it because you need fuel in your lives. And what the Holy Spirit comes to do is fuel us for what it means to follow Jesus and live out in response to his good news. And so what we're going to do here in our times together is every time we read scripture together, every time we pray together, every time we sing together, every time we have coffee together, the question that we're always going to be asking internally is this, hey, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? What do you want to do with us today? How do you want to heal us? How do you want to fill us? How do you want to send us out from this place? How can we partner with your mission and your kingdom, all that you want to do in your world? That's what we're asking. And even as I'm like preaching now, I'm trying to say, hey, Holy Spirit, is there anyone that you particularly want to meet with today? What do you want to do? Now, you might be thinking, oh no, that means they're one of those churches where everyone's going to get all hyped up and it's going to be very emotional. Um, I can promise you that there is not a pastor on earth who is less likely to hype someone up than an English man. Uh, 
We don't have the emotional capacity to hype anything up at all uh, other than a football match or a soccer match. We got nothing else. So we will always try to be very relaxed. We will always try to be very normal. There will be moments, no doubt, when it feels like the Holy Spirit is moving and you can really sense it and you can see what's going on. There'll be other moments which feel quiet. You might even just feel like nothing's happening. But we know because the scripture tells us that when we ask the Holy Spirit to move, that the Spirit always moves. And we want everything the Holy Spirit has for our lives. So they were full of the Spirit. But the second thing is that they were absolutely centered, grounded, rooted in the Word of God in Scripture. The very thing that, Paul, uh, that Luke wants to tell us in verse 42, the first thing that he says about this community that marks them out is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that might sound a little bit like cult of personality stuff. It's not at all. This first community realized that if they were to be spirit-filled, if they were to be in love with God, then they had to be a learning community. They had to invest their time, they had to invest their lives in learning about this God that they were going to serve. They had to do the legwork. They didn't have the full, uh, full um, whole of scripture together because it hadn't been completed yet. But what they did have were these first-hand accounts of their first apostles. What they did have was the Old Testament from their Jewish scriptures. And they wanted to study it. And what they did was when they were in small groups, they studied scripture together. When they were in larger settings, they studied the scriptures together. They realized that you can't actually be a spirit-filled Christian fully on fire for God unless you really know the God who you're loving and who you're serving you know we 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 are a community like so many who absolutely want to say what Timothy says in 2 Timothy 3 16 when he says all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching for rebuking for correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work The Bible is not some optional extra. The Bible is the very framework on which our faith rests. We don't know anything really about who Jesus is unless we get our hearts and our lives fully invested in the Bible. We don't even know about the creation of the world and why God created and what he was doing and what he's going to do one day when Jesus returns unless we invest our lives in really studying scripture well. We want to be a community who does that. But I know that that can feel hard. We live in a culture where increasingly, if you pick up some scripture and you read it to people, they may not like you very much. There are some things which the Bible says which challenges even people who've been Christians for many years. But we don't get the out to say, let's just not bother. Let's just do the Holy Spirit stuff and not bother with the Bible. In fact, what this community did, because they were full of the Spirit, is that they studied the Word of God. Because they were so in love with the presence of God, they studied His Word. And we want to be like that. You know, I, I don't know why this is the case, but I, I feel like, you know, if I'm honest, I, I meet so many Christians who will say, I am a Christian who is all about the Spirit of God. Or they'll say, I'm a Christian, I'm all about the Word of God. You know, we have some of the best, most educated Christians in the world who live in LA. They can tell you things about bits of Scripture that I don't even begin to know. But maybe they don't really spend much time listening to the voice of God in the presence, in the moment now. We have so many other Christians in LA who just love the presence of God, love that sense that God draws near when we worship. They want to hear God's voice. Absolutely brilliant. And then for some reason, they don't spend too much time in scripture. 
But we want to be a people who put scripture and we want to put the Holy Spirit together because that's where life is. If you only focus on scripture and you don't allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to life in your life, actually what it becomes, we dry up. Very quickly we dry up in our faith. But if we only fill our lives with the Holy Spirit and don't ground it and root it and do the work of learning all about what, who God is and what he wants to do in our lives, if we don't allow this inspired word to change us and shape us and mold us, then actually what happens is we blow up. And so often, you know, Christians can end up in slightly strange places because they haven't done the work of Scripture. And we want to do both. And the reason we want to do both particularly is because, um, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that as human beings on earth, we see through a glass darkly. That's a very old English translation. But it kind of means that even when we encounter the God who's out there and incredible and amazing, and even the God who comes close to us, that we won't quite fully understand always what's going on. That we always see it a little bit like it's a bit dim at the moment until Jesus returns and so we need the checks and the balances of scripture. We need it so that when somebody comes forward and says, hey Ben, I really think God is saying this, we can actually say, does that what the Bible says is actually who, who God is? And if it's not, we can go, thanks so much. I think you had too much cheese before you went to bed last night, like, or, or, or whatever it might be. Are you with me? So we want to be a community that's full of the Holy Spirit and centered on the word of God, which means that if you're part of one of our community groups, if you come here to our Sunday services, if your kids are in V Kids or V Youth, all of it will be very much centered on biblical teaching. They were a community that was full of the Spirit, full of, centered on the Word of God, but then this. They were the kind of loving community that we just so rarely get to see on earth. The overriding theme, the theme Luke seems to want to say more than anything else to us about this community is that they had a love, a love for God, a love for one another, and a love for the world around them. I don't know if you've ever asked the question, like, why, why did God create a world? What was God doing? Was God some strange old man with a white beard in the sky, just a bit lonely, needed somebody to talk to, needed a plaything? What was going on? Well, in fact, if you put the whole of the Bible together, what you realize is that before there was ever a world, there was love. And it wasn't love because God just invented some concept called love. There was love because there was community. And there was community because God is one, but he's also three. That's a bit much to deal with on our first service together, I realize. But there was God who was Father, there was God who was Son, Jesus, and there was the Holy Spirit before there was ever a world. And they were in community with one another that they loved one another. In fact, there was such an, a self-deprecating love, always preferring and always sending and always giving to the other. It, the overflow of love is why there is a world. God didn't create a world because he needed you and he needed me or he needed Adam or anyone else. God birthed a world because it was flowing out of him in that desire to parent, in that desire to pass on, in that desire to love another. And so God creates Adam, if you've ever read that little first bit of scripture, and not very, uh, he creates Adam in his image, but he says to Adam, hey dude, because you're in my image, actually it's probably not very good that you are on your own, and so I'm going to create somebody to be with you, and he creates Eve, and suddenly there is family on earth, in the image of God, there is family. When God calls out Abraham to be, the, to be his chosen mouthpiece and to be the head of the Israelites, what does he do? He says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then there is family of the community of God on earth. 
When Jesus comes to dwell on earth, it's not that he just does some mechanical process of living, dying, and rising again. What does he do? No, he lives in community. He lives in family. He laughs, he cries, he calls people to himself. And when he's ready to send those group out to be his hands and feet, to be the very mechanism by which the world will know who he is, what does he pray for them? He says in John's gospel, he says, I pray that they would be one. They would be one. Why is not like, is it just like a parent going, oh my goodness, please children, would you just get on with each other? It's so important. No, he's praying that they would be one because as they are one, as they learn to love one another, as they model the kind of community that doesn't seem to exist on earth naturally, they are doing the very work of modeling the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As the people are doing that on earth, as we love one another, as this first community loved one another, they were doing the work of showing the world who God is and what love looks like. Love is not some optional extra. It's not some nice thing that you just tack on the end once you've done truth and once you've done presence. No, love is the very thing that holds the whole creation story and the whole things that we know about who God is. God is love. And we need love. What did a spirit-filled community look like? He said they were devoted to one another. They loved one another so much that nobody in the whole community had any need because as soon as there was any need, somebody else in the community would say, I've got more and I'm going to sort out the need that you have. They were a community that loved one another. And you know what? I'm absolutely convinced that we are being called to be a community who love in the way that this first church loved. You know, I love living in LA. It's been awesome this last year. It's almost exactly a year ago since Laura and I and the kids, we moved here. I love the fact that it's January and it's sunny outside. In fact, it's so sunny that we've put the blinds down because it's too sunny in January right now to see the screen. I love the fact that you guys have the beaches and the mountains and you're super cool and you're chilled out and and it's, it's just cool being here. I love it. But I also know that LA is a tough place to live. I know that for so many people who come here, whether they make it or they don't make it, LA can be brutal. And I think part of the reason it can feel like that is because LA, like so many cities around the world, including in the UK, are increasingly places of individualism. They're places where the story is about us. It's about me. It's about what I need. And we're losing that sense of being in community with one another. Um, A little bit before Christmas, I, um, I've been uh, doing so much driving between the west side of LA and, and here and, and eating like far too many donuts at both ends of the journey that I just realized I put on so much weight. I, I did that thing which everybody always does after they're fed up for long enough. So I joined the gym. Um, now, I'd never been a member of a gym before. I'd only ever like played team sports. And so this last four months, I've been learning what it means to be a gym member. Um, and so I've learned some things that I want to pass on to you today because they're very important. The first is this. If you join a gym in LA, very important, you must not ever walk there. It's not allowed. You must only ever drive to the gym. That's an LA thing, I realize. You can must drive to the gym. When you arrive at the gym, you must be appropriately clad in overly tight clothing, and you must have your headphones at the ready. You walk in the front door of the gym, you say to the person, hello, good morning, and you go, and you look down at your body, and you think, which bit do I need to work on first? Oh, literally everything. 
everything. Uh, you look around at the machines and you think, which machine is the least painful machine here? You find the machine, you walk to the machine, you punch in all of your personal information and history, your zip code, your social security number, all the rest of the things, your weight, which is too much, your height, which isn't high enough, and all those kind of things. You put it in, you put your headphones in because you've got something you need to listen to or something you need to watch or something that's going to motivate you, and you go for it. 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, or in the first case I went there, about three minutes later, you look down, you're a pile of sweat. You think, oh my goodness, what do I need to do? Oh, I need another machine. And you just keep going, and you find machine after machine until you finally run out of time, or you finally run out of energy, and then you're like, oh my goodness, I just need to go home. Now, don't get me wrong, I've really loved being part of the gym, and even though you can't tell it yet, it has actually done some beneficial things for my life. But the reason that I think I haven't got the, the Zac Efron body thing going on just yet, the reason you know, that hasn't really been transformational in my life is because I treat the gym like it's just about me and my body and my exercise and nothing else matters. When I go to the gym, if I'm honest, I don't really talk to other people. I don't really listen to what's going on around me. I'm focused on my podcast. I'm focused on my music. I'm focused on the work that I need to do whilst I'm in that space. What I need in my life, if I'm going to be really transformed and actually become fit and healthy, is I need people who are going to walk the journey of fitness with me. I need somebody who's going to come to the gym with me and even tell me to go to the gym, not just when I want to go to the gym on my terms, when I've got a few minutes spare, but actually get me into the rhythm. I need somebody who, when I'm in the gym, who's going to help me to know which machines I'm supposed to use and in which order and what settings I'm supposed to put on them. And when I'm on the machines, they're supposed to go, hey, Ben, this is how you do it. You need to keep going, Ben. Just keep going. You can do it. I need to be in the community, but I'm not. And I'm not because I don't want to give it the time. I don't want to give it the energy. I don't feel like I've got enough capacity or enough emotional capacity to talk to people when I go to the gym. I want to do it on my terms. I want the maximum flexibility and the minimum control. I want the maximum choice, but the minimum amount of any authority and anyone telling me what to do. And that's how life is becoming, right? That's what it feels like to live here. It's what it feels like to live in the United Kingdom. It's exactly the same. We're becoming people who are increasingly living on our own terms, wanting to do life as we want to do life and completing the goals that we want to complete. But yet, we are called to more. We are called to a better way of being alive. God did not just come to save us in our relationship between him and us. What he came to do was to reunite us in our relationships, one with one another, with one another. We are called to be a people of God who love like no other people on earth. Amen. That is what we need. That is what we need. It's the complete opposite of FOMO. It's the complete opposite. I'm going to turn up the last minute and do it if I want to do it, and I won't do it if I don't want to do it. It's the complete opposite of that. This first group of people, what does it say? They were committed to fellowship, which basically meant they said, we're in with each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to serve each other even when we get nothing back. That's who we're called to be. And I am desperate. I am overwhelmingly desperate that that is true of us here in this community. And the truth is I've got lots of reasons to be hopeful. When we, we first thought we were moving to LA, we thought we were going to be living in a totally different part of LA. We thought we were just going to be off doing, in a place where we wouldn't know anybody in the locality of where we were living. And then we thought we were going to be working somewhere totally different. It's a story that like many of you know really well when you come to LA. We thought, man, this is going to be tough. How are we going to get to know people? But then we found out a little bit later on through an amazing movement of the Holy Spirit that we were going to be in this community here in Pasadena. 
And we'd met a few of the people in the community who are here today. And we didn't know much about them, but the little bit we know filled us with hope. And I remember once we'd agreed that we were going to come to Pasadena, I remember just this moment when I sat with Laura, it was late at night, and I remember just going like this, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because I knew that this was a community of people who knew how to love each other. We'd seen it. And sure enough, as we prepared to come, we had to sign a lease on a place to live that we'd never seen. We had to do all it all from the United Kingdom. And we arrived and we'd exchanged a few emails. So I kind of had a little bit of an idea what was going to happen. But we were picked up from the airport, fed lunch and taken to our house. Now, when you, you, know, you rent a house, you kind of expect there's nothing in it. It's just going to be empty. Our stuff hadn't arrived from England or anything like that. We walked in the front door. There was a dining table and some chairs. We walked into the kitchen and all the kitchen cupboards were full, plates and bowls and cups. And there was food and not just any food, but there was English food in the things. If you've never eaten Marmite, then you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit fully in your life yet. But you will one day, it's okay. It was amazing. We went into the kids' bedrooms and suddenly their kids' beds were made up and there were toys for them to play with. Now, when you're a family, five and a half thousand miles from your family and your home, that is the most overwhelming feeling that you can possibly imagine. And all year, what I have been witnessing is this community loving one another in spectacularly brilliant ways. And all I've been trying to do is trying to join in and learn from them and say, man, they love so well. I want to love like they love. Every time someone's come in from the United Kingdom or come to join us from other parts of the world, and there's been lots of you who have come in from far, far and wide to be part of this church. Like all I've been trying to do is, hey, hey, can, I just want to love like they love. And I'm desperate. I am desperate. We are a community that loves like God loves. I am desperate for that because I am convinced that if we are a community that's full of the Spirit, sent on the Word of God, and we love the world like Jesus loves, then the world can't help but be transformed. It can't help but be transformed. People are desperate to experience community and love. We want to pass on that love of God for one another. Not just those that are in our room, but those who are out in our communities, those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who are broken. And I believe that God is calling people into that story of redemption and healing. And it starts with love for one another and love for God. Are you up for it? Yeah.